Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for April 10th, 2023. Featuring poet Isabella Descendi leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at our new space in Brooklyn Heights at 144 Montague Street and live streamed via Zoom every month. Always on the second Monday of every month. For more information and to get tickets, go to brokenpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Brand Torres, Magdalena Kelleher, Sue Bevan, Roy Wong, Elia Osmanova, Solange Claus, Megan Gwilt, Alexis Dibbs, Sarah Patoxny, Naomi Brenman, Anne Herendine, Hunter Hodkinson, Kayla Schwab, Kiara DeLelo, Jennifer Paneo Dunn, Parrish Finn, Christine Deganars, Michael Cohen, and last but not least, former Yawp of the Year, Arthur Russell. So, without any further delay let's get right to the action the brooklyn poets yop open mic for april 10th enjoy all right people we are going to get started again I told you the break would be longer than I said it would be. I'm always like, okay, we're going to come back in seven, and then I'm like, oh, I need some wine. I need to chit-chat, and it's been like, it's <laughs> it's like after eight already. Um, I just feel bad for Parrish and Darius because they'll be here with me closing, closing after ten. <laughs> um, I appreciate that, Hunter. Thank you. Um, we are back for the open mic. Uh, I'm just suddenly at a loss for words because I was like, okay, we're recording now. So this is the Yop open mic. Uh, if you don't know, we record the Yop open mic every month as a, as a podcast that we call the Yopcast. We'd love it if you would subscribe to the Yopcast, which you can do on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us five stars. It helps other readers and listeners find the poets that read for the open mic every month couple of ground rules for the open mic that most of you probably know if you've signed up, uh, but if you don't know, especially if you're here for the first time, you get to read one poem of three minutes max. Um, so please stick to your time. It helps us get through the open mic lineup and hopefully get to at least one or two people on the wait list. Every month we vote for poem of the month at the op, and the way to do that is to text the Brooklyn Poets number. I'm going to give it to you a few times throughout the evening, but the first time is tonight at this very moment, the number to vote for poem of the month is 718-374-1953. If you want to look that up on your own phone, you can just Google Brooklyn Poets, look for our number under our Google listing. It's the same exact number, 718-374-1953. You can just text me the poet's name. We will go over the names throughout the night, and at the end of the night, I will review back 
Um, the 12 winners of Poem of the Month at the end of the year in December uh, face off for Poem of the Year honors. It's an award that is voted on live at the Poem of the Year contest. We did that for the first time in person in this space last December. It was pretty amazing. Um, I think we've, what, we have like three or four winners already because we start the clock in December. So there have been December, January, February, March. We've had four winners so far, including some of the people in this room uh, have won Poem of the Month, like Kiara DeLelo and Herondine. They're both sitting at table three. They don't have their t-shirts on for table three, but uh, I think it's because Arthur is sitting in the back somewhere. <laughs> uh, but the t-shirts are around somewhere. Anyway, uh, again, Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. But before we get to the open mic, I am so excited and proud to introduce our featured reader tonight, who just led an amazing workshop on rage. If you don't have her chapbook, Through the New Body, it is one of the best books you can buy. We still have a few copies up here for sale. It's called Through the New Body. There are a lot of poems about rage in that book that I love. It's like one of those books that I read, and like I'm reading, and I'm like, man, I fuck with this book. Uh, and that's like a particular kind of book. Uh, and I think we all have that particular kind of book for us. But like for, for me, Be Bella could pretty much write anything. She could just like, I don't know, just be like texting me something and like she's pissed about it. I'd be like, yes. <laughs> uh, but please give a warm welcome again for Isabella Descendi. fucking sick of me <laughs> oh my god all right this is a fun part right this is scarier than what i just did just kidding okay um let's not take any more time y'all are like shut up um okay i'm gonna read three poems okay i'm gonna read this one um the title of this poem is from a, a, an actual headline. It's called, America's First Female Muslim Judge Found Floating in a River. It's for Sheila Abdusalam. In April, we will find her body. It is March. New York is gray, in between seasons, like a heart undecided between new love and loss. No one knows why we will have found her here the dark truth of her body rising up from underwater. Last night, while I was walking down Broadway, some man across the street called me a nappy-haired speck. Near the river, cherry blossoms ripen pink as wounds against the sky. I can't believe what we do to each other. Snow turns to fog, turns to dust over the branches. In 10, 50, 200 years, who will believe us when we say the earth was a hopeless chant? Any man was our captor. If I'm alive, then I'm ashamed of my mouth, silent as a thief. The man on my street corner who begs for change, whom I choose not to see. No one's life is the problem. The problem is a poet can't always lay down in words a feeling they know they'll never forget. When they say I shouldn't feel powerless, I agree, but many times I've stood at the lip of this river and wanted to crawl in. The M60 rolling past me, kicking up muck. Maybe the problem with the living isn't their sorrow, it's that they're still capable of violence. 
The feeling I can't forget is similar to flowers falling quiet as knives on the spring-punched street when they pull out my body by the hair, and she lives. Okay, um, this is a new poem that I was very honored that the features editor at Brooklyn Poet picked up. Um, it's about the recent dissolution of a friend that I had for a very long time. This is the poem that's a little bit shady, but it's not really about, you know, poems are about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> and it's called My Death Urge is Strong. This is the, f the first time I think I've read it out loud, so besides for the audio. <clears throat> Kate says, my death urge is strong, and that's why I try to sabotage my life. Far out on the river, boats float from harbor to harbor like lovers becoming strangers, becoming lovers once again. And all I can think about is distance. My mother and the hunger she carried with her before she became American. Hunger that spreads in me like a juniper erupting all over the park the winter I decide I can't breathe, don't eat. I'm in a new city now, but I'm not lonely. Kate was right about my urge, but we're not friends anymore. October again, the engine of summer stopped by the galloping trance of an impossible cold light and certain as the music of a hundred blue wings humming like soft machinery in my bones. I thought by 30 I'd stop looking at my body as a wind-ripped metaphor, or would at least have learned to love my ruinings the way a child loves collecting pennies, worth something because they unburied them, worth something because they're mine. Instead, I order oat lattes every day of the week and practice laying sentences down in stanzas like bodies lying on a bed. These days, I am only writing to understand the character of myself as an attempt to have grace when I fail me. And here, there is a version of me that never felt shame for helping my mom clean offices for cash. The light is dewy, cinematic, I am inarguably holy and never lonely, never cruel. And here, I can recite the name of every film in Timothy Chalamet's repertoire, even though Kate told all our friends I'm an indie film poser. <laughs> I don't care. This is what life is. Intimacy, chance, the thrill of so much beginning new and so often always its end. At the beginning of my mom's new life, a photo was taken of her blowing kisses toward the shore the day she left and never looked back. I miss the friends I've lost to age, small griefs, love. In poems, I can remember them. In poems, I can believe the person I say I am in a story I invent that goes like this. Bella waits by the water when a dog loose from its leash, runs up to her ecstatic, demanding to be acknowledged as the living often do. Yes, I decide. The plot will start here. The animal bounding toward her, its face held between her palms the way only strangers' faces can hold the mystery of one another. For just a moment, this trust. Eyes linked, having understood the wildness that rests between them. But before you think of me as hero, know this. I knew my mother was hungry, and I still took food from her plate. 
The dog returns to its owner, as it must. I don't save anyone, but I blow kisses to all the strangers passing by me on small boats, nothing else but a blue sail on the water, growing smaller in the distance. Are you all still with me? All right, one more. Thank you. Thank you for being so so generous. Okay, um, quick story on this one before I read. So, uh, because I think the anecdote is so hilarious. Um, basically, I was doing therapy um, for PTSD, and my therapist had, this is during COVID, my therapist had told me, dance by yourself in the house to try to like release some of this and like get comfortable in your skin, touch your arms, you know, sh all this stuff. So I had started to make it a nightly practice at that weird COVID time where it was like, you had to learn how to like do make shit interesting in your house. Um, and you know, dancing's ecstatic. It's like, it, you, you know, it gives you that same like dopamine rush. So anyways, one day I was like really feeling the moves, feeling the vibes, and I like took a video and I made a video, I put it on Instagram. This is before like TikTok or like filming yourself was cool. It was like kind of fucking narcissistic and weird still. Um, and my mom, my mom called me and she's like, she's like, um, mom, are you okay? Like what's going on? I'm like, yeah, I feel great. What's up? She's like, she's like, I'm just checking in. Like, are you on drugs? Like whatever. Like she just could not believe that like, you know, an adult would post a video of herself dancing online. She, she had a point to be fair, but um, so, this, this poem is kind of born from that experience. Um, and it's called Milagros, or Self-Portrait at 28. Alone in my studio apartment in New York, I danced to Burna Boy y Regaton and post a video of myself online. My mother calls to ask if I'm on drugs because it's difficult for anyone to believe a woman who lives alone might just be happy shimmying in her skin the way the stars shake and ricochet just before they burst into the beautiful catastrophe of nothingness. In true poet's fashion, I have to say I don't care what they think. I have to build this analogy out of language for you to believe I'm like the stars. I know my ancestors would have danced with me in quarantine because Cuba, like New York, is an island where everyone is lonely and everyone is grateful for their little bit of nothing and joy is not earned but made. How else would we have bachata if it weren't for the sorrow of distanced lovers finding each other's bodies under the gold-hazed rim of a rum-shocked drink which they sipped and spilled wherever they turned? whenever they danced, when they dipped, when they groped, when they kissed, when the congas, like familiar heartbeats, thumped like thunder, thumped as if to say, step here, breathe, hold one another. Haven't I been there, been so hungry, I was reckless, felt so abandoned in my body, I let any man hold me so I could pretend his hands were the hands of my first love sliding down my hips. Listen, all I'm trying to say is, this world feels like an incomplete phase of the moon minus beauty. All I'm saying is what my people in the Caribbean have always known to be true, that a slick melody strummed against a summer sky rhythming is key to setting you free. Of course, when Burna Boy blares, I'm a hurricane spiraling. Of course, tocar means to make music and to touch. 
When I strum the impossible instrument of my skin, I'm a cello humming light, doing what I must to shake the night sky from my bones. My therapist therapist says, it takes years to shake a trauma from the body. But here's what suffering, I mean the combustive bodies of stars, have taught me. Burning is the only way some of us can get clean. The problem is, sometimes I forget this. And when I start to feel this way, when I begin to face the hard truth that I might not ever be deeply loved by anyone ever again, that it might just be me in this brown body alone forever in this home, well, I turn on my music and let the bass snake up my leg because I still love the ruckus it causes. The chaos of my hips like prayer, releasing something like prayer, revealing my sloppy, ineffable heart to the gods. Oh reader, how else can I admit this? All I want is to be held. All I want is for you to come closer and dance with me. Yes, dance with me right here, right now, in this shitty kitchen light, and see if you don't feel free once reminded that our fabulous, infinitesimal lives, flickering, 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 are just like the stars. Bright, musical miracles that make it okay to say we are. All right, good audience. Didn't even have to say keep it going. They all kept it going for you. Uh, thank you, Bella. That was amazing. We are on to the open mic. Our first reader tonight is Brand Torres. Give it up for Brand. Hello. <laughs> Hi, my name is Brand. Um, I use he, him pronouns, and I'm really grateful to be here. This is my first yop. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to read a poem today called Lorelli. My mother named me Lorelli because she says it sounds like a melody, only to be parodied by teachers calling me Lorelei. Though I no longer mind because the Odyssey taught me that Lorelei's are sirens with songs that call sailors to season the same tongues that serenaded the seamen, sprinkled with salt from the water they drowned in. Lorelei feels right when I seek revenge on men for being too delicious when their interest in me ends. Lorelli is a great name for a lesbian. <laughs> Though I respect women too much to eat them with abandon. I'm accustomed to people calling me Laura Lee, though I would prefer to be called he. Most people are confused when they meet me wearing poofy dresses and stockinged feet. What they don't see 
Oh gosh, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> what they don't see is what I've known since I was a baby, pulling on my labia like I could prevent becoming a lady. Being trans isn't my whole personality. Not lying is who I am. Though some may perceive that as the same thing. My truth is that I want everyone at my funeral to wear foam fingers to prove that I was number one at living. My truth is that I'm usually willing to engage in conversation with headphones on, and there is no sound louder than yellow when it's neon. I don't go out at night because I fear being stalked, but the hurt doesn't compare to never being touched not in pain, not at all. As I stand here telling you my most vulnerable thoughts, I hope you want to find me after this and take your turn to talk. Thank you. All right, thank you, Brand. It's wonderful. I love the foam finger funeral. <laughs> I love foam fingers too. Uh, that's such an image, but what a great poem to start. Uh, our next reader for the open mic is, uh, correct me if I'm saying your last name, is it Magdalena Kelleher? Is that right? Give it up for Magdalena. really nervous, so thank you. <laughs> okay, my poem is called Cold Side. Your warm skin, sun on a rock, antidote to sharp breaths. The moon wears her crown, luminous as fresh snowfall, and your opal skin. Full release, tired lips now still. Wish for the power to stop the soft spark, slow, then all at once collapse. The gray days don't end, fear hiding in the mist. The black hole stares back, menacing, mocking. Empty space silently crushes. Winter trees like lungs, skeletal and sparse. Branches hold hidden buds of spring. Truth hides in the trees. Leaves flicker, secrets unfurled, eyes blind to the slippery light. Your words beat like drums. I'm filled with your sounds, urging. Two halves of the moon, you love me like no other. Now crumbled rock in shadow, the cold side. We're merely skeletons dancing around. Isn't it absurd? Beautiful poem. Thank you, Magdalena. Uh, truth hides in the trees. Great phrase. Uh, two Yop debuts, two fantastic poems. Our third poet may also be a Yop debut. Is it Sue Bevan? Bevan. Sue Bevan. Give it up for Sue. Thank 
Thank you so much for having me here. Um, I'm visiting from Cambridge, UK. Uh, <laughs> I, I just need to do a quick bit, bit of translation. When we talk about pants in the UK, we don't mean these. We mean the stuff underneath. <laughs> this, is, this is called When the Patriarchy's Done. When the patriarchy's done, he will iron my clothes. Yay. And not just my pants that he sniffs as he goes, but my tops and my bottoms, my underwear, overwear, new clothes and old clothes, re-gifted, recycled, refitted, retitled, and he will iron them all, one by fucking one. In return, I will marvel at how enormous his stack is. Perfectly pristine piles of polyester, cotton and silk. He'll say yes to linen and viscose, reading the labels, checking the temperatures, knowing just when to get hot or not. He'll make sure he knows about starching, steaming, stiffening, slipping the tip of his iron in folds and increases around every button, lingering here for a while where the fabric is thicker, layered, enfolded. He'll follow the seams from wrist right up to shoulder, and under the armpit he'll notice the stain, but press on regardless, because he knows real women sweat. He'll lay out my trousers and sweeping his weapon from delicate ankle right up to the gusset. He'll find the sweet spot that's a little more nuanced, French seams intertwining. He'll weave into pleats like he never imagined, the metal now hot in his fingers. Lay flat with his left hand for right to explore, repeating his stroking again and again and again, <laughs> all the way to fulfillment. He won't ever rush or leave the job early. And then he will lay it all out in the cupboard for airing. He doesn't know why, but he does it because he believes it's what women like. And me? I will watch him. I'll kick off my shoes and I'll lie back and smoke. <coughs> even though I don't smoke. <laughs> and not once will I say, shall I iron yours now? No, I'll wait. In the still of the night, when his slumbers are deep, I'll creep to the cupboard and slip on the silk camisole that he placed there. I'll ease my cool toes into pants that he folded, and I'll walk in the garden. Dew on my feet with the moon rising high, I'll roll in the grass till I'm wet from my hair right down to the toenails I painted just for the occasion. And I tell you something. Let me tell you something. When the patriarchy is done, and he knows where the iron is, he'd be crazy to leave it to me. Thank you very much.
All right, all right. I love that poem. <laughs> there was some dissonance for me with that poem, though, because I love ironing. <laughs> I have to say, uh, and I don't like it when other people iron my shit. My mother-in-law, like when she was here, she was like, "Oh, let me, I'll iron this for you," and I was like, "No, I got it," because <laughs> I don't, I don't trust you. Uh, but uh, that's probably the best ironing poem I've ever heard. But I was, a, I don't think I've ever heard another ironing poem. So, I think you've got that, <laughs> you've got that genre of poetry. You've claimed it. Uh, our next reader is Roy Wong, right there. Give it up for Roy. Blasian Book Fair is April 29th, which I was going to practice reading a poem here tonight for, because I guess I'm doing that there. <laughs> uh, but I, oh, but it's like, you know, they're giving out free books. It's to raise funds for the Blasian March, which is to support Black Asian solidarity, which is clearly something I believe in. <laughs> Uh, but I recently found out someone is a fan of Rilke, so rather than practice that poem, I'm going to present something inspired by my favorite dead white guy, writer. <laughs> uh, this is called Imagined Apollo. Breathless God, cast in inertial marble tones, eyes flood still as brows arch shots at fleeting laurel, crowned instead with a rising stardew song. Cheeks, blushing life, bought by some Olympian artifice, lingering touch of your first lover. Hands that you almost to caress have laid down the vanquishing bow to accept devotions of musk rose. The glowing torso suffused with want and fullness join haunches frozen in their vigorous launch towards shape-shifting adventure. See you, is that not the cleft hid deep in the core? His vaunted aim, picking the right bright targets. Change your life, not for yourself, but always, always to his glory. And colorblind, he does not see the exhaustion convention produces, how the choosing seems so natural, our blundering reaper of confidence. All right, Roy. Roy Rilke, that was awesome. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but that was that was nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rilke's one of my favorite dead white guys too. Uh, and Jay Deshpande's son is named after Rilke, Rainer. It's, yeah, you gotta be pretty bold to name your kid Rainer. I think it's, he's gonna be called Rain probably. Anyway, um, our next poet of the evening, Elia Osmanova. Give it up for Elia. I'm nervous, like I'm reading for the first time. <laughs> Still remembering the fresh memories of the big land in a big house, like the one the general gifted me, 
I called it the summer house. I had been enjoying the subtle wind coming out of my mouth, throwing me side to side. Loved seeing how every leaf moved in a different speed. The same wind, but a different dance. Connecting them all like they hear each other's crunching sounds. Watching the view of the beautiful Caspian Sea, I felt bigger than the sea as I spread my arms, but my heart kept shrinking. Still remembering the day we had moved in, the loud repairing sounds kept continuing. It's like a cassette replaying the same loud nostalgic melody. I knew something bigger was coming, bigger than this house, bigger than the verity we had lived in. Well, I had already left before I had moved in. Chasing the corners of the summer house and remaining quietly just to watch the years of loaded tears mixed with the alcohol smell of his that felt like home. And the bruises followed, given to her by him, given to me by her. Mixed with the voice of her singing the melody and him yelling the lyrics, I created a dance. Among the smell, the bottles, and the bruises to add the colors. As I kept walking through the summer house, all I saw were the walls and no space in between. Then I wondered if the space ever even existed or was that all part of my dance that I created? Feeling exhausted from the familiarity of this feeling as I continued staring at the sea while seeing my own reflection through the glass doors. That is exactly how I felt being there. Freedom through the glass doors. No identity of my own, but only his. Lost in my own world, as I often did, being in the summer house, the general interrupted my wild thinking. Why do you choose to suffer in a foreign land when you... He continued, but all I felt was the vanishing humming sound, and I found myself straight in my own reflection again. Well, my reflection of freedom through the glass doors. Speaking two different languages when I'm waiting for us to reconnect again. Taking the time back to when we were father and a daughter, not the general and the expected soldier. Thank you. Thank you, Elia. Beautiful work, as always. Amazing poem. Our next poet has an amazing name, so I'm sure their poem is going to be amazing, too. Solange Claus, is that our next poet? Give it up for Solange Claus. Hi, everyone. Thank you for being here. Thank you. You inspired me to read a poem I did not expect to read tonight, but it's a rageful poem, so I gotta do it. Okay, um, all right, this is such a cool microphone. I feel very like, da, 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 okay. Um, okay, this is from 2020, by the way. The wind is purring, 
Rain is hard and howling through the new green of the leaves, just born and breathing like a water birth in the home of earth, a soft swallowing of the dying brisk spring air, alive in protest, patient. We dance between panic and peace like a children's game. Tug of war and the weights are unevenly distributed because so are our heaps of gossip information, the she said, the he said. Mostly he who says anything irresponsibly like an impulse, like a house burning. We all have parts burning. Some the whole house, some parts, some none, but a lot of small matches burning for the effect. Some of us dance on the silver lining between two buildings while some of us jump from one fire to the next. And like a video game, we play it, we watch it, we level up or we lose a life or they lose a life. Some of us lose nothing. The day goes blank, the stars quietly mask the sky as we end a day or we don't see the day. Every day feels either new or tired like a disease, like dis-ease of this reality show. A lived-in chess game. Exhaustion of always predicting the next move by a white hand that has never held a baby like it does a wad of dirty cash. Can we carry each other like the wind carries its newborn leaves, like the sun opens and invites a new day with trust and natural instinct? Can we carry each other or have we lost the strength to carry? Thank you. All right, thank you so much. We all have parts burning. What a great line. Um, we're, we're trying to deal with a Zoom issue. I don't know, we're trying to, the audio for some reason is not working on Zoom, even though it seems like it should be. Anyway, we hope that you can hear us on Zoom uh, eventually. I don't know, what's, what's the status, Parrish, no? <laughs> okay, well, uh, just read my lips. Um, we do have closed captions. <laughs> can follow the captions at least. Um, I don't know what's going on. In any case, our next poet, brilliant poet, give it up for Megan Gwilt. Hi, I am also reading you guys a rage poem, but it is also about falling in love with New York City. So it's like what comes after rage. It's called The First Sunny Day. I step out of that shiny new office in the World Trade Center, blinking back the sun reflecting off Freedom Tower. That job is mine if I want it. The first sunny day in weeks, and I feel that seasonal affective start to thaw, just a normal depression now. <laughs> I have an hour left in the doctor's appointment I told my boss I had, and he's already asking me for more. Asking for more hours, more smiles, more skirts and giggles, and the new job is mine if I want it. Deciding that first sunny day is just too delicious to waste, I wander through a part of the city I haven't seen since I was a real tourist, always feeling too corporate, too clean, too Wall Street to belong to my New York, but now it's mine if I want it. And blinking back the resentment and homesickness for that Midwest town, I, left, I let my guard down and walk. 
I see the tourists taking the trek to Liberty Island I took years ago, smiling instead of scoffing at their foam hats and ponchos, trying to remember how I felt in their shoes. The moment where my 15-year-old dreams came true and I wanted to drink in every dollar slice and tourist trap and rat the city had to offer. Before I knew bosses could be cruel and taxes are worse than rent and that I really should start my 401k. Staring at that patinaed goddess, the woes of early adulthood melted into a teenager's heart bursting at her future, and I wish I could shelter her from all of it. Let her know the good for the taking and leave out the pain that sneaks in behind it. Shield her from the bosses with silver bullet tongues who leave you scarred. Shelter her from teachers who kiss her on a street corner in her own neighborhood. The nose scratching up her throat like a thousand bees that are blocked by his mouth. Save her from friends who say you should have known better instead of he should never have done that. And the city gives you all of that. Yours if you want it and even if you don't. Today, I flush those memories away, leave them in the hamper for my next therapy session. Today, I enjoy the sun beating down my brow, glittering off the Hudson, reminding me the city is mine if I want it, the good and the bad tidally locked, orbiting each other and me like the earth, the sun, and the moon. You needed the silver-tongued boss to take you out of a dead-end job and light a fire to catch your dream instead. The clean and corporate of the financial district gives you this park and this view. The teacher gives you the bonfire with your roommates while they wipe your tears and toss more poems into the flames and gives you the new friend who you trust instantly, even if it's foolish. Talking about apartment hunting from your first coffee date and you feel a piece of yourself start to come back. Sometimes the darkest nights happen right before this first sunny day. An apology from the city for what you endured and a reminder that you will be okay. A reminder that I do not live in my New York. I live in ours. And it's all ours if we want it. All right, Megan, amazing poem. Thank you. Our next poet is sitting right next to Megan. Give it up for Alexis Dibbs. Hello, I'm Alexis. Uh, the poem that I'll be reading today is inspired by my birthday month, so it's titled 25. Okay. <laughs> okay. 25, 25 is a handful of blueberries. Ice cream in sub-degree winter weather, dinner parties of three with flowers blooming down the runner come spring. As I wait for summer sun, cue the world's tiniest violin bow for the playlist of my quarter-life crisis dream, running from something long awaited, tuning in while sailing out in the city of Porto, watching the sunset while settling for clouds, looking like hell, I'm here for the plot, plotting self-care, mental health days, corporate America calls this being sick, and I'm sick of America, so I'll take the next flight out tomorrow if it means I am happy yesterday. I'll find someone who loves me ugly at my prettiest and my silliest and hungriest in a European city. Dance in my skirts and my dresses and everything I only wear when I feel my best and I have no intention of ever being serious. Seriously, 25 seems serious and I'll commit to that bit deeply with lots of peace and love and a postcard from me when I'm gone. 25 is a handful of blueberries and blackberries and raspberries and new pals formed in old third spaces around the world, no longer strangers, I'm a gatherer of memories. 
stamped decaf oat milk lattes greeting from a familiar tongue in a foreign place, and now a foreign face in a city we both dated. Catch me solo dining with sprinkles of kindness, paying New York City prices to disco in silence. This year I'm packing light because life gets heavy, always unexpectedly, expect the unexpected very expectedly with the glass of kombucha in hand. Drank to wind down the day sober, hunter of four-leaf clover, spinning perception in circles. Any win is a means for celebration. If 25 means a quarter-life crisis, I guess I'll celebrate it. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Alexis. Amazing poem. Man, I wish I was 25 again. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, quarter life crisis. Uh, great stuff. <laughs> Our next poet, we're about halfway through. Our next poet is, is it Sarah Patoxony? Okay, give it up for Sarah. Hello, everybody. I don't know how close I need to get to this thing. Is this okay? Is that, is that better? Oh, that's really great to know. Okay. All right, I got a really dirty poem. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's short-ish. All right, it's called um, Ananas Vienna. I was the kind of person who lost their virginity to the kind of person who happens to be taking lots of people's virginities. I needed it this way. Quiet, anonymous, and filmed on an iPhone by a pianist with a voyeur fetish. What is making me sad, and why is it that I miss his small, perfect penis? Vienna's, sorry, I can't laugh, not laugh. <laughs> Vienna's terse persona dipping darkly in the window. I'm somehow nostalgic for when I was less in touch with people generally. Like when my best friend in high school wanted to lick my pussy and I wouldn't let her. She wanted me naked on her trundle bed. The house was still around us, she could have owned it. I wanted pleasure, but couldn't live knowing someone I saw every day would know they'd given it to me. Pleasure, mine, couldn't look like pleasure, theirs. It had to, like me, be something no one understood. This, among other things, must be why I'm suffering. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that last line, Jesus. I feel like the open mic just kicked into another gear the last 10 minutes, for God's sakes. Um, hopefully, I think they're hearing it now on Zoom at least, uh, not just following the captions. Our next poet is Naomi Brenman. Give it up for Naomi. Hi. This poem is called, You Become a Poem. My cat's round eye tells me how bright the sky is. I check for myself, budding branches against gray. A tiny head nestled between the crux of my knee and the back of the hand typing this poem. She rumbles joyfully. Joy always on the tip of my tongue, and her chest rises and falls 10 times as I feel myself which may not seem like a miracle, but miracles are in the eye of the beholder. That a creature named for a lunar body, circling some other world, she looks like a moon, I always say, not the moon. 
would willingly, lovingly rest her cheek on my thigh, touch being her love language, along with cans of fancy feast, touch being my love language as well, a dry well since the drought. But the monsoon is always a delight, his lips on mine, single-serving intimacy, my depths drink greedily, skin on skin, chests rising and falling together. He falls asleep and I listen to him breathe, knowing nothing but warmth and breath, and the moment lives on in eternity, in words and now in your mind's eye, and together we drink from what is now replenished, the eternal existing now, like us, for no reason but its own pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Naomi. Beautiful poem. Um, you're sitting at table three, which is fortuitous. Our next reader is also from table three. Give it up for Anne Herendine. Contentment. Contentment is underrated. It comes from having enough and knowing it. I was content for years, appetite an unraveling memory, a twinge in my sex, the lips that never speak. I have said there are no words for me, yet words are all I have. My mouth must speak the desires of my divided self, flowing ocean water mind and clogged, blocked creators carved in childhood into graceless tools for galumphing tasks and chores, opened just enough to sense the existence of pleasure, never to taste it, joyless in the work of hands. I am insignificant. I make no signs, thumbs up, or middle finger, peace or fist of resistance, it's all okay with me, or not. I say I can't talk to deaf people and get the helpless, endless laughs, orgasm or torture, that come from truths too bloody to be spoken. My comedy kills. We underestimate contentment its power to salt the earth. No seed of love germinates. No sprout of wanting pushes bowed sticky head through the desiccated soil. Pain is inevitable, but we can choose to suffer. What use is this advice to me? I am old, will not have that choice again. Let me enjoy these end times. And when arousal comes, unexpected, unsought, it is through my mouth, the lips that speak. I am a siren, the seductive voice that up close reveals salt-draggled feathers and harpy beak, the predator that lures men in ships to crash on rocks. I wreck the silence with a whisper. 
Don't blame me for deception. I want only what I can't have. I'm choosing my sorrow, grateful for one last chance, something to cry over as I straddle the knife blade, my female lips swell with the excitement of grief and loss. This is how I know I am still alive. And Heron Dean, y'all. Table three. Poem of the Month winner this year already. I wrecked the silence with a whisper. Fuck me. Our next poet, also a table three, also a brilliant Broken Poets intern. Give it up for Hunter Hodkinson. This is why I told Anne, fuck you, <laughs> for signing up before me. Um, love you. Uh, this poem is dedicated to the significant others of poets. Um, or, you know, we put you through some shit. <laughs> or at least I put mine through some shit. Um, uh, so yeah. Um, this poem is about my binge eating disorder. Um, but also, it's a poem about the guilt of having an abundance of food um, when so many people do not. It's called uh, The Spoils of Labor. That feeling moments after binge where you just look around wondering how you managed to make so much disappear with the same mouth that can't even ask for what it wants. I don't know, I'm too busy trash compacting 19 chickens into something as small as a thumbtack. I picture a farmer, soil embedded beneath his fingernails who would rather cut off his own hands, throw them into the jaws of the tractor, than excavate another potato for an ungrateful basket of french fries. I wear a necklace of hard-worn hands around my neck heavier than a chain married to an anchor. I drag around years of harvest, thousands of people's labor suffocate in my intestines. I burp up their screams, I shit out their prayers, and I flush their sacrifice down the drain just to become someone else's dirty work. All right, Hunter. Uh, let's let's give him a round of applause too for taking that video. <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> uh, man, I shit out their prayers. Shit, man. <laughs> Our next one of the evening, another brilliant Broken Poets intern. Give it up for Kayla Schwab. This is awesome and exciting. Happy Poetry Month. I haven't read in person at a YAP since we were at 61 Local. I don't know how. 
I haven't read an, a yop here yet, so I'm very <laughs> excited. Um, I wrote this in Gregory Crosby's workshop, Eternal Returns, uh, Recurrences in Form, which there's a couple people here who took that class and on the Zoom. Um, highly recommend. It's called Huzzle for Stolen Language. When Drake admits he doesn't write his own raps, it gets me to grin. But when he says, yeah, you say you a lesbian girl, me too, he exceeds the limits I had previously set for anger from afar. <laughs> yes, I, I blame Drake, and I blame the convenience economy too, for letting language be picked up from those who fought for it, delivered out of context to those who want it now, Spare me. Too many words chewed up and spit back at us. How dare they hold these hallowed shapes inside their mouths? What's left for me to do when, at the Thanksgiving table, we talk football and films? Trying to recall a name, someone shares a clue. The one who got me tooed. And I wonder when our declaration turned into a transitive verb, villain on the receiving end, victim roasted, glossed up meat to gawk at. No one ever wants to eat the turkey. It's just a symbol to distract from what was stolen. They make us feel gamey too. Tough to swallow, sorted. But you have so much to be thankful for, they say. Things could have been so much worse. If I try to meet you halfway, will you ask where I'm coming from? Will Drake be blaring in the background? Will there be vegetarian options for me, too? Thank you. All right. Thank you, Kayla Schwab. Uh, poems beginning with Drake, subgenre of poetry. Uh, I think you've claimed that one. We've got the ironing poem. <laughs> We've not got... <laughs> Poems beginning by fucking with Drake, which absolutely needs to be done. Our next poem of the evening, my neighbor in Beacon, New York. Give it up for Kiara DeLelo. Hi, everybody. Happy Poetry Month. Um, I'm not doing 30-30, so none of y'all feel bad but uh, I have been seeing some amazing prompts online. Um, I have a poem for you today that I think I wasn't going to read originally, but I picked it up because we all need things, we all want things, we're all going through things, and um, so it's not particularly ragey, but it is about that. Um, and I, I love the person who this is about, um, and it's also the day after Easter, and it's about a person I love who's a priest. So this is called Four in One. In her office with its nation-state of dark wood desk, Julia told me there are four kinds of prayer. I was an adult, if a newly minted one, not an eight-year-old in communion class, but she explained them anyway, her red hair just touching her clerical collar. The color almost, always somehow irreverent, like pink hair on a teen goth. How like her, though, to be more brazen than liturgy, more fiery than sacrament. Here is why you're great, she said, that's praise. 
When she told me risque stories from her theater days, she grinned all the way to the lines at the corners of her eyes. It did the same thing to my heart as the trees outside her office, when their leaves blazed yellow and red, then cascaded to the ground. Here is what I did. I'm sorry. That's confession. I lingered so many times at the stone arch, the iron and glass door, peering into the entryway like it was a crystal ball. To see if I'd get lucky, to see her office door ajar. I confess, once I knew how she took it, I brought her coffee in trade for stories. But then again, I don't regret this. Here is what I need. Help me. That's supplication. The way I needed to know in those days that life is very long. That I wouldn't always be a cast off, the one too odd to love right. The way she asked me if I'd ever thought about the priesthood, and I said, all I'm missing is the belief. But how easily I could love her way of listening and ritual. How easy I could live like her in a calendar of renewal, turn, turning over old words like logs to find new meanings and new hopes underneath. <laughs> I want to tell her that when it comes down to it, there are really only four kinds of poem, too. Her fingertip tracing a cross on my forehead while she spoke me beloved, spoke me safe, or her hands proving when they broke the circle of bread that even old rituals could find me deep and giddy as fresh-found love that I could be known and be healed. The fourth kind is gratitude. Thank you, she said. Thanks. All right, thank you, Kiara. One of our winners of Poem of the Month this year, uh, all I'm missing is the belief. Seems sort of important. <laughs> Priesthood. I'm curious, what are the four kinds of poetry? <laughs> I just wanted to put you on the spot. Our next poet of the evening is Jennifer Pineo Dunn. Give it up for Jennifer. project instead. So my name is Jenny. Uh, I have been writing poetry for a really long time, but this is the beginning of me beginning to try to perform it. So I'm excited to be here, but also terrified. Um, my poem is that I'm reading tonight is actually just a section of a longer poem, and it's about home. And my home now is Brooklyn, and it feels wonderful to be reading it here. But the longer poem is really me coming to terms with the fact that I, I really left home. I married an American. I'm going to live here now. I'm going to build my family here now. And I'm coming to realize that my children will have a vastly different experience of life than I did growing up in the far north of Canada in the Yukon Territory. So the section I'm going to read you is basically a love letter to the Yukon, talking about all the beautiful, joyful things that come out of it that I hope my children learn to love, even though they're going to be city kids. <laughs> but basically, it's a cold, hard place. Winter is very long. It's very dark. But you have to kind of push through that to find the joy in it. OK. So 
My little otter will rattle over the Atlantic on subway cars to school. I will tell her joyful tales of fearsome cold, mesmerizing cold, of cold that pierces your flesh so deep you can't even feel it burn you. You can't even think. But the real burn comes later, the blazing cold that burns even worse in reverse when you find the warmth of the holy inside. When you crouch, huddled in front of the heat of the radiant wood stove, gazing dazedly into the deepest red-black heartthrobs of the raging flames. As the slow pumping, slower warming, icy blood like thick sludge creeps, crawls, comes back through you, and feeling fights back into the cheeks, the thighs, the fingertips, in sharp stabs and sparks of fiery agony. A lesson for little otter to learn. Strong beauty sings if you can push through that suffering. You will feel outrageously alive. So vibrant, your cells are shining bright. So deeply resonant you are with life. I will tell her tales of leaving my hair wet for the walk to school so I could rhythmically crack snap the frozen strands of the knowing that if your eyes seal shut with icicles, you must counterintuitively close them tighter to win open to freedom and sight once again. Of breathing through your nose of necessity so the fleeting passage through nasal cavity body heat warms the icy air just slightly before it strikes your lungs like a sword swipe. Of the diamond bright winter days, flawless, beautiful, essential. Of the clean crunch of truly cold snow, firm beneath your feet. Of the sun dog ringing out a halo gong of silent song of the sharpest lodgepole shadows, slicing the sparkling frozen forest floor, angled across the snow-crusted dunes, swept by wind and wisps of crystal ice, like a whisper nature uttered in surprised, secret delight. All is flooded in painfully stark, clear, dry moonlight. I will tell her tales of the crisp clarity of the air, no smell fresher, none purer, no sound clearer than the raven's caw riding unobstructed across the frozen emerald smear of northern lights cradled by the cavernous atmosphere. Now I'm afraid, my little otter, most hoped for daughter, I'm afraid she will be so city. She will feel only the pain, she will feel only the cold, she will not feel the joy. So remember, little otter, strong beauty sings if you can push through that suffering. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Jennifer. Beautiful poem. Uh, I think your I think your kids will be okay with you leading the way. I think I, I'm, I'm confident. Uh, our next part of the evening has been doing dutiful, great work up here at the reception desk. Give it up for Parish Finn.
this poem is called, We Say Goodbye and I Walk Down into 14th Street Station. The orange Fanta you drank in the AMC was a saline solution to your body, how sweet you are. And I am not a girl, I am 5,000 mosquitoes in a long down coat for you. Summer might be waiting for us, I pray. I shiver, I shake in the cold. My red scarf, a ribbon to keep my head from blowing off my body. My red scarf, a wreath around my severed, presented head. And I walk the underground halls, passing people, wondering, do they know that my heart is outside of my body now, that I walk with this dangerous condition? It seems they stand on the train platform, but I stand on the edge of a cliff and a sea of wind, imagining your hand. Okay, thank you, Parrish. <laughs> Parrish, can you, can you hold up those postcards that you apparently wrote the poem on during? <laughs> oh, really? I was like, did you just write that during the workshop? I was like, why is she bringing those Brooklyn Poets postcards up this day? <laughs> you should have just kept that myth going, though. That would have been, I would have been amazed. Okay, well, amazing poem regardless. Uh, our next poet is Christine Deganars. Give it up for Christine. Hi, I'm Christine. Thank you. Uh, oh, I'm nervous. <laughs> This poem is called Stepping Out of Angel Share in Late July. Yeah, which is this great bar, I miss it. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also when you're distilling alcohol and some of it evaporates. The evaporated part is called angel share. It's not relevant to this at all, I just wanted you to know. <laughs> Stepping out of angel share in late July. Once again, I'm done up in a good time girl attitude, and there's a man who's walking past saying, how can I talk to any female? They don't understand. I want to grab his belt loop, pull him by my index finger curved as if holding a trigger, and I want to hold it there just long enough for him to see what good comes from letting someone know you like that. He smells like clover, oranges, peach skin. Suddenly, I'm back in it, and he isn't him. And I'm saying every single thing, but you don't need to get me like that. I keep telling him that if I keep telling him about the under-the-bed parts of my mind, maybe he'll look at things the way they look at me. But what does that matter? Sometimes I'm meaning so much there's no room for anything else. What word is there for when I look through a window and can't tell what's me? Let's step back. Let's talk about heat waves, red wine, and summertime, all the things I thought couldn't touch me that May through August. Let's talk about how once I lived with a boy who wasn't mine, and when he walked out of a cab, I wanted him the whole way down the street. 
He was all apricots and sweet marmalade, and when he drank, he said he loved his wife, and what's left of him I didn't need. And now, now I can't even remember his face. Am I making myself clear? All I mean is that people get lost in my memories of them, and they lose all their skin. Undress me. I'm asking, take off your filth. Know me through seconds, through too much blue pep. Scream to me over the things I'm telling you. Imagine what it is like now for me to look for you. At this hour, every bar smells like a name, and every East Village neon sign keeps repeating, there is so much more music in the things we can't own, and I, I am an eye that is exploding with song, even if everything else stings. I am the only thing that keeps me holy. I am the only thing that keeps me holy when God, when God won't talk to a woman and wonders how. Damn. Okay. Love that poem. That's definitely the best poem to leave Angel Share, I think. <laughs> it's kind of, how many of you have been to that bar? No one. Elia. What the fuck is wrong with y'all? It was like a famous cocktail bar in New York City. <laughs> I don't know. Pre-pandemic, I guess. But uh, I've never heard a poem about leaving Angel Share, and you killed that. Um... I feel like we have to have a yop where like the, the prompt is like write a poem about leaving a bar in New York City. You do? Yeah, that's right, you do. That's why you're cool. <laughs> um, anyone else that has one, talk to me afterwards. Um, our next poet of the evening is Michael Cohen. Give it up for Michael. Good evening, everyone. It's great to be here. Uh, those of you who've been so supportive of my limping around, I'm having hip surgery this week. And um, yeah, I hope it'll relieve a lot. Yeah, I'm anxious as hell, but you know. Um, <clears throat> speaking of anxiety, uh, there's been uh, a lot of mental health references, which I don't usually do, but tonight is one. And you started with uh, ADD. So I've struggled with ADD since before I was born, I think. Um, and. Uh, Depression and anxiety, and um, being a psychologist and highly trained, I think some of you, since I'm speaking to dozens and dozens of poets, some of you may have experienced psychic states such as depression and anxiety and ADD. It's a wild guess. <coughs> it's a bad joke. Um, it's, uh, the poem is called Talking with Kabir. It starts with a few lines of my, actually my favorite poem ever written, and, uh, and, and written 500 years ago. Kabir was an Indian poet, uh, born... 1388 or something, um, wrote during the 1400s, 15th century, um, rejected the major religions of the time, Muslim and Hindu, and created his own religion. Um, and, uh, and this is 500 years ago, uh, a few lines of the greatest ADD poem, I think, ever written. Um, and the conceit of poetry at the time was to address the reader directly. Listen, neither the Vedas nor the Quran will teach you this. Put a bit in its mouth, put a saddle on its back, put your feet in the stirrups, and ride your wild, runaway mind all the way to heaven. My dear Kabir, I wish it were so. 
to ride this runaway, racing, and out-of-control mind. And even if I could, where, where is heaven? Nothing, drugs, mysticism, or the rest, has let it run calm like the clear mountain streams the, poems write, the poets write about. Only with her is my mind calmed and tamed, and when she leaves, I'm wild again. The dust rises behind, and I'm off in five different directions at the same time. Or on the wrong road, the one to hell, and ride your wild way, ride your runaway mind to hell was not your instruction. <laughs> Kabir, there are those of us for whom the saddle doesn't fit or was even made. And on too many evenings, the heavy weight, wet curtain falls, making the smallest tasks, returning a call, preparing a meal impossible, undoable. Death itself becomes insurmountable. As a friend once clarified when I called concern, don't worry. I'm only depressed, although my mind has speeded up. So Kabir, please ride with me first to the blue horizon, which is always in the distance, no matter how far or fast we travel. Perhaps heaven's on the other side. My friend Ruggiero's waiting with a bottle of Pinot Grigio and a pasta con aragosta. And all our past lovers, beloved teachers, friends, and parents will be there to welcome us. But for now, Kabir, it's that gallop to the far distancing horizon, to the ever-darkening shades of blue, to a, I'm sorry, I just finished this this afternoon, uh, to that ever-distancing horizon, changing from midday blinding light, to ever-darkening shades of blue, to a purple dusk, and then the night with its billion stars. Kabir, I want to write a poem so vast that we can ride in it forever towards that unreachable horizon with heaven waiting right over the wind-torn hills. Ride with me, Kabir. I can't make it on my own, my brother, my friend. It's nearing the end of the day, and I love when the afternoon light creates shadows as long as my thoughts and as sharp and mysterious as my loves. Stay with me. I'll keep up. I'm holding the reins tight, and the saddle fits. I feel you. Stay with me, and together, let's ride and ride and ride. Thank you. Michael Cohen. Fantastic as always, Michael. Uh, we got time for one more. And you can see what table he represents by his T-shirt. Give it up for Arthur Russell from Table 3. I am Arthur Russell from Table 3, which includes Anne and Hunter and Parrish and Michael and Chiara. It's just that now I'm in the diaspora, in the back room just as my people have been in various diasporas for the last 2,000 years, but enough about that. This has been a great show. I mean, I love coming here. I don't know what Poetry Month means because it's all poetry to me. So this poem is, a, this is an excerpt from a longer poem I'm working on now. Deals with seeing, eventually seeing your parents in a different light. It's called House Paint or Dave Kramer's son, Georgie, an autistic savant, and my mother 
ran into one another on the corner of Coney Island Avenue and Avenue J in front of the Lincoln Savings Bank now called Chase. I should tell you the weird thing about my family is that we referred to my parents after Woodstock <clears throat> by their names, so it's Bert and Selma. Dave Kramer's son, an autistic savant called Georgie, ran into my mother, Selma, on the street outside the Lincoln Savings Bank, whose deco-mullioned, brass-toned window casements brought 1920s style to a Midwood street. Georgie recognized my Selma first, calling out in his blaring voice, Selma Russell, Bert from Hollywood's wife just as sometimes when relaxed behind the Kramer's hardware counter, leaning on the doorframe to the basement stairs, he'd drape his forearm sideways on his head, the pose Picasso's women sometimes struck, responding to requests from customers for, for inventory items and their price from deep within his honeycombed mind. Five-eighths inch machine screw brass, 18 threads per inch, 12 cents each, a box of nine, nine dollars. Matching nuts a nickel apiece. Five cents is a nickel. Nickel apiece, he might repeat, and chuckle as if remembering the time that Dave, his father, taught him that five cents equal a nickel. Or something else, maybe nickel tickled him or the word apiece. And yet, the trumpet voice with blats like Louis Armstrong was the one he used to call out names and account numbers and even regular orders when people came into the store. Harry Lopez from Big Ass, Elijah from Abco Properties, liquid soap, no lanolin allergic, Selma Russell, Bert from Hollywood's wife. Well, hello, George, my mother said. So nice to see you. Do you live not far from here? Park Manor Adult Home, 570 Coney Island Avenue, room 17. Clumpy flakes of snow were falling calmly without wind the day that George met my mother outside the Lincoln Savings Bank. A clumpy wet snow that clung without melting on George's stocking cap and Selma's black fur coat, her scarf expertly poofed up at the collar. What became of that coat, Cindy, my sister, after Selma passed? Ask Cindy, Cindy would know. It was easy to stand out on the street that day in the big flake, no wind, snow, no need to hurry, an easy day to be a child in the snow, Selma in her black fur coat and Georgie in his blue canvas jacket. Dave Kramer was dead, Bert was dead. Kramer's hardware was sold, Hollywood car wash was sold. I got this report from Selma at the round glass table with the lazy Susan and the blown glass bowl where she kept plastic pears and the occasional phone bill in need of attention in her seventh floor apartment in Delray Beach, Florida with windows on the intercoastal waterway. She said she wished she had said more to George, but what was there to say? She had mostly indirectly known him from the dinner table stories Bert would tell of conversations Dave and he would have, for instance, finding Dave mid-afternoon with a half an egg salad sandwich still uneaten on the counter by the register, the mayo getting glassy with the weight. And when Bert said, but Dave, your food, Dave said, I need some aggravation to digest. And then there were the promises Dave made to George's mom, whose health had slipped away to care for George, which meant to keep the store much longer than he otherwise would want, so George would have a place to go. Bert knew these things, and Selma felt that she knew them too. And with her mother's heart, they came to her 
that snow globe day outside the bank, when she had to turn to answer to her name and saw his round face, aged as any man's would age, with fat, wet snowflakes on his woolen cap. She had the instant wish to talk as if old friends, to reminisce, survivors they, of olden days when she had come to work at Hollywood on Saturdays to keep the car wash books, make payroll, always dressed. You had to know how smartly she would dress, so elegantly walking through that steam to reach the office. And when she did, the men, like honor guards, their vacuum wands and steam guns turned aside to let her cross the track. But she couldn't reminisce with George. In Delray Beach, she didn't say all this, but I, who watched impossibilities of time and loss colliding in her face and saw her thoughtful hands fold narrow pleats in a paper napkin by her plate, knew well where she resided then and saw regret, free-floating chest-to-stomach, pure regret. So what, I asked, brought Georgie up today? She handed the Sun Sentinel to me. An article on autism, she said. Now Cindy texts me back that Selma's coat was sheared gray mink, unless I meant the stole, the one she wore on New Year's Eve, appearing in the bedroom door to wish us boys good night, bejeweled and backlit by the hallway light. But now I'm confused. It all seemed so clear. Thank you all. All right, thank you, Arthur Russell, the poet laureate of the car wash, for sure. I've read many amazing poems by Arthur about the car wash. Uh, to review and vote for Poem of the Month, again, the number to vote, 718-374-1953. I'm going to go backwards to the readers that we heard. That was, <laughs> I'm hearing I'm as a teacher, I have like, I have like uh, the sensitivity to people packing up. I'm like, don't pack up. We're not done yet. We just heard from Arthur Russell. Before that was Michael Cohen. Christine, is it Deganars? Is that right? Christine Deganars, Parrish Finn, Jennifer Paneo Dunn, Kiara DeLalo, Kayla Schwab, Hunter Hodkinson, Anne Herendine, Naomi Brenman, Sarah Patoxny, Alexis Dibbs, Megan Gwilt, Solange Claus, Elia Osmanova, Roy Wong, Sue Bev, is it Bevan? Bevan. Bevan. Magdalena Kelleher and Bran Torres, all the way back to the beginning. 718-374-1953. Please vote once. I mean, it's kind of obvious if you try to vote more than once. Uh, the other rule, which I have to say now every month, do not tell people that are not present at this YOP to vote for you. <laughs> you might think you're being sneaky. It's always really obvious. <laughs> It hasn't happened often, but every time it happens, it's happened like two or three times. I'm just like, I suddenly have 15 messages for the same poet in like a 10-second span. 718-374-1953. Our next yop. Uh, shit, Parrish, what is the second Monday in May? <laughs> Look at the calendar really quick. Look at this. Uh, yeah, that's it. May 8th, right? Is that right? <laughs> still, we're still waiting. You got the calendar open right there. May 8th is the date of the next yop. 
It will be led by Imogen Christian Smith. Some of you may have taken Imogen's workshop. Uh, I told you about the event this Friday, free event, Brooklyn Poets Reading Series, Chilon Chang, Tana Bambrick, and Rigoberto Gonzalez. And this Sunday, our craft lab with Jay Despande on pronouns. Uh, if you want financial aid for that, you need to request it by this Friday is the deadline for that. Otherwise, you can just register if you don't need financial aid. Just register through 4.59 p.m. Eastern <laughs> on Sunday. Uh, thanks for coming. It's a great event. Uh, I was going to say thank you one more time to, to Bella, who I know usually goes to bed early because at AWP she was like in bed at like 8 p.m. every night. And uh, I think she, she may have already left. I don't know. <laughs> I think she's maybe in the bathroom. Anyway, one more round of applause for Bella Descendi for leading our yop this month. Fantastic job. Uh, again, buy her book. I think there's still a few copies left. They're like at this display up here through the new body. It's only eight bucks, for God's sake. It's like the best uh, purchase you'll ever have. All right, next time we'll see you. Thanks for coming. Okay. There you have it, the Broken Poets Yop Open Mic for April 10th, 2023, featuring the one and only Bella Descendi, just kicking ass as usual. Thanks to Bella for leading a great workshop and reading some amazing poems to kick off her Open Mic Hour, including the new one that we published on the Broken Poets website as part of her Poet of the Week feature. Congrats to Jennifer Pineo Dunn for winning Yacht Poem of the Month uh, for April and earning a spot in our Poem of the Year contest coming your way later this December. Jennifer has also earned a fabulous Brooklyn Post tote bag and admission to our awards gala in December as well. Uh, our next Yop comes your way in the second month of the month in May, May 8th. That will be led by Imogen Christian Smith, a former Brooklyn Poets student and now a fantastic Brooklyn Post teacher. They've taught a couple of workshops for us already and will be teaching a summer workshop for us as well in our upcoming season, which by the way, will launch in early May. May 2nd is when we will open early registration for those summer workshops. So check that out on our website or social media. Subscribe to our newsletter if you haven't already. Fellowship applications for summer workshops will be due May 28th and early registration will run through June 11th. We've got a lot of things cooking at Brooklyn Poets uh, coming up in May, uh, not the least of which is a first annual poetry festival that we are going to host in our new space at 140 Montague Street and the last week of May, May 24th to May 27th. if you're listening to this on Tuesday, you're going to find out all about this tomorrow. Tomorrow, based on you listening to this on Tuesday, April 25th. Uh, so look out for that on our social media. And again, if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, you should probably do that. Uh, we've got a lot of other events, book launches coming up. Candace Williams, former Broken Poets Fellow and now Broken Poets Teacher is dropping their new book with Alice James on May 12th. That's a Friday, really excited about that. And we have an intern reading that we are planning for May 13th. The interns are working on a zine. 
and they're putting that together. That's going to be super cool. Uh, I would tell you about all the other events, but I would need probably another five minutes on this outro, and this outro song does not last five minutes, so I won't bore you with all those event details. Again, I would follow us on social media, especially specifically Instagram is the most useful one to follow. Subscribe to our newsletter and you'll get all those announcements. We are working on a new website that will have an event calendar make it easier for you to track all these things. But until that happens, just subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on social media. That is all. Thanks for listening. We'd love it if you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes if you haven't already and tell other people about it. Rate us five stars so more listeners can find these amazing poets every month. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you at the next job in May. Take care.